Welcome to the Working Well Podcast. I'm Tim Boris, CEO of Fresh Wellness Group. This show explores the diverse aspects of workplace health and personal performance. On the Working Well Podcast, we dive into the foundations of what makes wellness work in workplaces around the world. We connect with corporate leaders, executives, and industry experts who are helping make life more awesome at work and home. Join us to learn workplace wellness best practices, personal performance tips, and access resources to jumpstart your personal and corporate programs. Welcome everyone to the Working Well Podcast. Today, I'm here with Shannon Hughes. Now, Shannon's got an interesting background, and I'll talk about that in a second. I'll read a little intro for her. Shannon is committed to helping organizations protect their most valuable asset, their employees. After graduating from the University of Alberta with a criminology degree, a series of unexpected life events led Shannon to the insurance industry and to work at a major national carrier. In 2012, she moved to the consulting side of the business where she focused on retirement savings plans and employee benefits. After learning this side of the industry with both small and large consulting firms, her entrepreneurial drive led her to start Captivate Benefits. She takes pride in supporting businesses and nonprofit organizations to create thriving workplaces by taking a holistic approach to the people's health and well-being. She loves connection, community, and continuous improvement and is working hard to build a purpose-driven business that embodies these values. Welcome, Shannon. Wow, from uh, criminology to helping employee health and well-being, that's a big shift in direction. Now, I yeah. Relate. I went, uh, almost went through the criminology route in university until switching to kinesiology and psychology. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, um, yeah I always make the joke that, you know, like, the insurance industry, insurance brokers, we kind of have a name for ourselves, right? So maybe I didn't actually make that big of a switch, but um, yeah. Anyways, I, I love the criminology, you know, like understanding why groups of people do the things they do. And I think that's something I can bring to my work every day. Sure. And the, I don't know, a lot of people think of insurance as seen often as a boring business that rarely mm-hmm. changes. And you've been in it for what, close to 15 years now? Around yeah. That? What are some of the biggest changes that major carriers have made, and uh, particularly related to employee health and well-being? Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I think you know the insurance component is really meant to cover unexpected expenses. That's you know why we have insurance, house insurance. If our house gets broken into or there's a fire, it's going to be covered, right? Um, and so on a benefit plan, those un- unexpected things would be catastrophic things like really, really high drug claims or, um, you know, going traveling to the U.S. and having a medical event and getting a, a $500,000 bill, right? But the benefit plans have kind of shifted over the years to cover things that aren't unexpected and that are more like predictable expenses like uh, the paramedical practitioners, like your massage and your chiropractor and things like that, and um, and even the vision care. So um, it's shifted because the insurance element has almost been removed. And in a lot of ways, employers are paying for employees to have some, you know, proactive ways to take care of their health. But um, it, there's a big price tag attached with it. So it's been an interesting conversation on for organizations to have to decide you know what are their values and what can they afford to pay for for employees so that's been a big shift i've seen in the industry yeah and that's something that we work with our clients on to understand the maybe some of the upfront costs that'll come with 
wellness programs because when we're talking yeah. about wellness there is sometimes more of a front-end cost on those paramedical yet the long-term positive impact more than pays back that that expense and yeah. that's something that I find uh, a lot of executives particularly on the finance side aren't uh, aren't seeing as much they just see costs going up but they also realize that this is the way that we help people be healthier. If yeah. you're not taking care of those aches and pains, then, then that's the challenge. And what, what have you seen in terms of how companies handle that on the, on the front end with increased <clears throat> use of paramedical? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, there's a number of ways that companies can handle it. But I agree with you that, you know, the way I wish that every company handled it was taking like a, you know, 64,000 foot view of like, first of all, what are our values and what are our priorities and what is the reason we even have this benefit plan? And is the coverage that we're offering employees lined up with that? And if it is, then potentially they can find ways to justify the cost, right? Um, <clears throat> there's certainly cost containment strategies that organizations can put in place. Um, one trend that we've seen is um, moving this kind of coverage that is driving costs up, such as the paramedical practitioners, to health spending accounts um, and giving each employee a set amount in their their own account. Um, that's a it, you know it's tax free, um, but that really then the cost is predictable, and then organizations know no one's going to exceed um, this amount of dollars spent. But the you know, that comes with a hitch because employees attach a lot of value to those benefits that cost employers a lot of money. So it's kind of like a fine line because the intent of a benefit plan, you know, it has a lot of intents, but one of them is to create goodwill with employees, right? So employees don't generally respond that well when those tough decisions have to be made to remove coverage, right? So, um, and a big part of it, too, is education and educating employees how the benefit plans are priced and making sure that they understand that the benefit plan is intended for things that are, you know, it, I don't want to say medically necessary because, like, we're talking about some of these paramedical practitioners, they're intended to proactively help active people take care of their health, right? Like, you're not going to the physiotherapist if you sit on the couch every night and watch Netflix. You're going if you are, you know, living your best life and being active, right? So, um, so yeah, I don't know if I answered your question. I feel like I kind of talked in circles because it's not really black and white, right? Yeah. And I think, yeah, you're, I agree you're right that a lot of the people that are going to see physiotherapists uh, are ones that are active. However, I find there's, as, as people who are, inactive which we know is the large majority of the population <laughs> when they do start to be active they realize that their inactivity has created a whole range of issues that they need to get dealt with and that's that's a big factor that i think gets missed a lot of times when we're encouraging our employee base to be more active we we just have to look at the stats to realize how bad the situation is literally two out of every three people in North America are either overweight or obese. And a lot of people look south of the border, you know, Canada is a bit different, but it, the stats aren't really that different. Mm -hmm. Where the difference is, is more on the obesity side. 
the overall, I think if I recall, the North American stats are about 50-50. Of those two out of three, half are obese, half are overweight, but that mm-hmm. is shifting rapidly to the obesity side. Yeah. So we're, we're so getting we really have to... extremity uh, where people are being fit, but more people are becoming obese at the same time. We're actually decreasing the overweight section in the middle because yeah. those who are overweight are becoming more overweight. And it's, it's interesting to think. And when we start to look at this, just the, the stats themselves, if you have a company of a thousand people, 667 of them are probably overweight or obese. And that's astronomical in terms of the costs that are going to start to hit the company in, I think it's four out of, uh, Four out of every of the top five prevent or four out of the top five causes of death right now are preventable. When we talk about heart disease and stroke and hypertension and all these things that are yeah. exacerbated by being unhealthy, um, mm-hmm. obesity, those are major risk factors that companies have to deal with. And when we we look at like, have you seen how that's shifting in the in the benefit side? On the benefit side, um, definitely, like as far as cost drivers on the plan, prescription drugs, um, that's that that's one of the biggest new cost drivers that, you know, talking about uh, changes to the industry over the years. Um, and that's not that's largely driven by um, more specialty drugs coming on the market and um, to cover, you know, but there are more, like you say, chronic illnesses that are try they're trying to treat with prescriptions right and so we are seeing those hit the benefit plan for sure um so so for sure there's a trickle down effect to the the benefit plan from all these lifestyle choices really that uh, result in people just not being as healthy and not being able to live their best lives right so yeah well, I, I know at our <clears throat> at our fitness studios that we run for corporate clients we when we do our health history questionnaire we get people to list the the different types of drugs they're on so we know interactions and things like that uh and i've had people come in with literally pages of printouts and it's a rare time when we see someone who's not on some type of medication yeah and almost to the person when after our coaches have worked with people and we're obviously not telling them to come Mm -hmm. off drugs but we recommend them after they've made these lifestyle choices to talk to their doctor and almost to the person they're just coming off the drugs or the medications dropping or they don't need it as much it's it's not rocket science what Mm -hmm. what we what the solution is but the problem is that society is not set up right now to make that change i guess you would say yeah. Um, do you well, see? I can oh. go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say I can speak to that, like from the perspective of a benefit plan. So, um, one thing that really adds value to a benefit plan is really understanding how it's being used, and then how you know we can, you know, where are some areas at each specific organization that we can lean into with education or resources. Um, so you know, there's a lot of analytics that goes into the benefit plan. Um, So for my clients, I make sure that they understand the breakdown of the health claims and, you know, renewal, we review that. And on average, the prescription drugs are 50% of the claims that go through the health plan. And then the paramedicals are usually a quarter and then 
or actually more than a quarter. They're usually like another, you know, um, oh gosh, am I doing math fast? <laughs> you know, uh, not not a full half, but, uh, and then the um, there's medical services and supplies. So there's three main categories on the health coverage. Um, but yeah, to your point, prescription drugs are generally at least 50%. And then when we are working with an organization that has older older people in their demographics, then it can be as high as like 70, 80%. So, um, so yeah, there's definitely room for um, giving people tools to uh, start, you know, let's start planting seeds to what does it look like to live a healthy life, right? Um, and I think, you know, I just anecdotally, um, the, the people that I talk to, the um, employees that I get to connect with, and even just my loved ones, people in my life, I feel like some of the barriers are um, just not knowing where to start, right? And feeling like you have to have a plan that goes from A to Z to figure out like, okay, so I want to be fit or I want to be healthy or I want to be thinner or lose weight or whatever. You have to have it all figured out. But I really think maybe we're overcomplicating it. Maybe it's just like planting seeds. And I mean, the way I live my life is like, experimenting um you know i might have a goal that i'm working towards and then um just you know trying one thing so what that might look like in the workplace um is you know not necessarily having um strategies in place that are high cost or you know and nowadays you know talking to leaders they don't have the bandwidth for taking on initiatives to try and figure out how to support employees right um in a lot of cases, but they know it's important and they really want this for their employees. So, um, so you know, I think just making it okay to start small and just start somewhere and planting seeds is really valuable too and providing tools and resources for people that they might not have been exposed to before, right? So. Absolutely, and that's again, something we work with our clients on is that ability to push away all the clutter and look at, okay, what is most important for the people in your company? Executives know their industry, they know their company really well. They're not wellness experts. Mm -hmm. And nor is HR wellness experts. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we've talked with other guests about as well as HR gets tasked with wellness. Mm -hmm. And usually someone's running it off the side of their desk and it's this passion project but they're also not a wellness expert. They might be healthy, they might be fit, but they're not seeing it from the organizational perspective, what things need to be done, what strategies, systems, policies in place mm -hmm. to make this effective mm -hmm. for the people who need it the most. And mm -hmm. one thing we've seen, and I, I think with benefits plans and the, uh, all, the, all the different, like most of the larger carriers have wellness portals and things like that what we've heard and you could correct me if i'm wrong but are they're not utilized to their capacity mm -hmm. is that would you say that's correct? yeah that's totally accurate um you know nowadays with um what we've all been going through with covid um a lot of organizations are putting employee assistance plans in place which are a great tool they're low cost um you know on average they're like three dollars per employee per month um, but we're still seeing that even um, in the light of all the emotional wellness challenges that we're facing and physical challenges as well, um, that the EAPs are still being underutilized. Like utilization is still 
uh, on an organization that has one in place, it's still an average of like six or 7% of employees that have access to it are actually using it. So, um, and I think it really comes back to, um, and you're talking, you know, to your point of HR kind of doing things off the corner of their desk and being um, put in a position where they're expected to be the experts on these things. Um, but they're not, and they just, like I said, too, they don't have the bandwidth that right now they have a lot, they're juggling a lot of balls. Um, and so I think, and, you know, from the perspective of the benefit plan, I talk to, I work with mostly small to medium businesses because 90%, 95% of businesses in Alberta fall into that category. Right. So, um, your example of a thousand employees, like that's not the norm. Right. Um, but so I'm talking to a lot of small and medium sized business owners or, um, leaders of nonprofits and they really, I uh, think don't know what they don't know about the benefit plan and look at insurance kind of as a must have or a necessity or, you know, um, part of their obligation to their employees, but don't really know how to tap into the value of it and the, how to leverage it to really um, increase the wellness that the employees, um, increase employees wellness and, um, and use it as a, to a really amazing tool for good in their organization. So, um, so I think that's, uh, you know, kind of getting back to like, we have these things, but they're still not being used or we're still not seeing the results that we want to have. And I think it comes back to, um, first of all, like starting with leadership on down of like kind of leaning into learning more about it and understanding the value of it. Um, so I think that's something that, you know, someone like me uh, or, you know, benefits consultants can really add a lot of value um, in working with organizations to make sure employees like fully understand the elements of the benefit plan that are there to to help with their financial wellness. Like that's a big one, a huge one that I focus a lot on. And the benefit plan just inherently is built to protect employees financial wellness, whether it's life insurance or disability insurance, which everyone always kind of like poo-poos because it's the one that we all hope that we never have to claim, or we don't even hope, we just have this um, assumption that not, nothing bad's ever gonna happen to us, right? But <laughs> slip on the ice and have an injury and can't work, right? Um, so, you know, and then even like we talked about those drug claims, there's some really, really expensive drugs out there. Um, and potential for some catastrophic drug claims if someone doesn't have adequate coverage and you know is out of pocket fifty thousand dollars a year for a prescription drug for hepatitis C or rheumatoid arthritis. So, um, so there's you know those buckets built into the benefit plan for financial wellness, and then huge buckets built in for physical and emotional well-being as well, right? Um, but employees often when I talk to them. They just, their knowledge of how, what, you know, how the benefit plan can serve them, you know, they're just scratching the surface, right? So I think it's really like being willing to drill down, have a good communication plan and education plan as well. Yeah. And well, COVID has definitely highlighted the, the fact that mental health is, is a massive uh, part of mm-hmm. the overall health picture. Yeah. And uh, that's, I guess, we, one of the silver linings of COVID is that it shed mi- much more light on, on the fact that employees are struggling, mm-hmm. and 
we we have to help them. I, I think it was Canadian Mental Health Association said pre-COVID it was one in five people suffered or uh, had mental health challenges, mm-hmm. and post-COVID it's four out of five. <laughs> yeah, that's that's like epidemic in itself. Yeah. Uh, I, go ahead. I think that's another barrier, though, because I still am talking to a lot of organizations, um, a lot of leaders who are saying, well, my employees seem fine. We really don't have issues. And I think um, so we might have less stigma amongst ourselves saying, yeah, this has been a really challenging time or in our, you know, our networks, our circles. But I think, um, you know, from an employer looking down on an employee perspective, like really, um, I think it starts with assessment. I think you had mentioned at one point about, you know, do those assessments that you do. And I think um, I've challenged a number of employers who have said that our employees are doing fine. Like they're, they're still at work. We didn't have to discontinue benefits. And I always say like, well, first of all, I mean, there's two sides of that coin. You don't know what's happening in their homes. You don't know if their partners or their spouses are still working. You don't know if they're, they have children that have switched to homeschooling and they're trying to juggle, you know, way more balls than they ever had in the air. Um, so why don't we start by doing an assessment and let's do a survey and find out like how employees really are doing, right? An anonymous survey where employees can uh, can share kind of um, where they're at and uh, how they're feeling, you know, about the steps that their organization has taken to support them and where they see gaps or would like more support. So I think that's always a good starting point is asking the questions, right? And doing some assessments. And this takes me a bit to a question that I ask all, all guests is, you know, we, we've chatted a lot about wellness, but really what what's your definition of wellness? Particularly I, workplace wellness. Yeah. Um, I, it's for me, it really is about it. Like it's not related to benefits, you know, it's related to um, employees going to a workplace where they feel seen and they feel heard and they feel like it's safe to make mistakes and learn and grow. And they know that, you know, they're confident that the contribution they're making is valuable, uh, and that they're getting honest feedback that allows them to, um, to grow. So it really, you know, comes down to culture. Um, but then the way that benefits would plug into that definition is, um, you know, obviously starting with these assessments or asking employees and kind of finding out what they need and where they're at, that makes employees feel seen and feel heard, right? Um, And when employees see uh, their organizations um, really working hard to provide tools and resources that protect their physical and financial and emotional well-being that makes them feel valued right and that makes that that you know affirms to employees that they are um valued members of the team and um and especially you know when the message from the organization is this isn't just we have a benefit plan in place because our competitor on the street does so we have to so we have a benefit plan in place because we care about you and you matter to us and we want you to come to work well right um so, yeah. Well, and, and one thing that we, I, I don't know, from, from my perspective with our consulting and companies is I almost see the benefits plan as table stakes. It's, you know, you, you need to have it. Most companies have 
even more than a few employees would likely have a benefits plan, but some are better than others in terms of what's offered and, and how mm-hmm. it's rolled out. But moving beyond that in the, in the wellness side, I find a lot of benefits plans are based around, as you said, they're originally off insurance to, you know, you've got the short-term, long-term disability, uh, medical costs, things like that. But then mm-hmm. what's the preventative side and how are companies really progressing the pre- preventative side to help cut the costs on the, the, mm-hmm. the catastrophic side? Mm-hmm. And that's something that is... I find still a bit missing from my perspective mm-hmm. and I know it's changed a lot and you can probably speak to what the future of benefits looks like. Where, where do you think it's going? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, before I even address that, I just kind of want to back up, but um, to your point about um, the, the preventative side and um, I feel like actually I read this really interesting um Uh, article HBR article this week that said that one of the number one workplace trends that they're predicting this author is predicting is that rather than organizations taking care of an employee's um, employee experience it's really going to be way more holistic about their life experience right and uh, that really resonated with me because as a benefit consultant um, the um, benefit plan is kind of my way to get a foot in the door and get to talk to organizations. And for me, it's my bread and butter. Um, but you know, the passion is the kind of like the holistic piece of like, how do we support organizations? Um, and actually this morning, even with, with my partner, we were talking about sleep and how his sleep has evolved and how he never had a good understanding of how a lack of sleep impacted his ability to um, to be productive at work and effective and, you know, the most effective employee and parent and partner that he could be, right? And so then we were talking about how, um, you know, this getting back to this whole uh, employers addressing the whole life experience for their employees, that's getting into things like mindfulness and sleep habits and sleep hygiene and those kinds of things, right? And so, um, so I, I don't know that this would be the future of benefits per se, because, you know, um, I mean, I do believe that all the insurers are trying to look for a way to support organizations like this. But I think the future of my the work that I do and the way that I support organizations is um, finding ways to support organizations to even plant these seeds for employees of, you know, what does it look like to get a full eight hours of sleep or seven hours of sleep? Let's be, uh, you know, maybe more realistic. But uh, uh, and, you know, what's the what does that mean to an organization's bottom line? Like, it's huge. If to your point, if you have an organization with a thousand employees um, and only using that number because I'm bad at math, but uh, or not quick with math. But, um, you know, imagine if two thirds of your workplace is coming to work on five hours a night of sleep and like, you know, just barely getting through the day and barely functioning. And if you could even make a five or 10% improvement to that, um, the impact that it could have, right? So um, that's something that I see in the future of um, the support that an organization can get from their benefits partner or their benefits consultant. Um, As far as the future of benefits themselves, um, obviously there's been a big shift to focusing on um, mental wellness and mental health. So, um, you know, to that end, there's um, 
internet-based cognitive behavioral therapy uh, programs that are available to employees, which are really powerful. And they, you know, um, as long as employees kind of um, have that education and have the impetus to, um, because again, we look at some of these things that are put in place that still just have really low utilization, right? So it's even getting back to like, why does this matter to you? And why, why would this be beneficial to you as an employee, right? But um, so that's one thing, telehealth and telemedicine, um, there's been a a really big uptake in those kinds of benefits. it was happening slowly before the pandemic, but then the pandemic just really uh, fast forwarded that. So people can get, um, you know, same day access to um, to medical providers um, virtually. So that's been huge. Um, and then probably like something that's like way down the horizon is looking at how these, like we're talking about these predictable uh, costs that are occurring on the benefit plan that aren't sustainable from a cost perspective, but are very important, how they'll morph and still be covered by employee employers, but um, maybe in a different way than the benefit plan. So, yeah. What do you see as the biggest barriers right now to making some of these changes in benefits plans? Um, well, like I, I, kind of alluded to already I feel like one of the biggest barriers is um, you know starting at the employer level just not knowing what they don't know right and so like you know and obviously all the things I'm talking about are related you know the benefits sphere Um, and I think um, just taking a very one-dimensional look at the benefit plan um, and uh, which is you know unfortunate for a lot of reasons it benefit plans are really expensive in alberta uh, the last study i saw on it was done by um, the cphr and i think it was in 2018 but at that time it said that on average alberta employers are spending um, 12 percent of payroll on the benefit and that includes retirement savings plan as well so that's a lot and if an organization has that in place and they're not getting, you know, they're not um, tapping into how to maximize the value of that, then they're just like throwing that money away. Right. So, um, so I think the biggest barrier is just reframing this conversation and for organizations to look at this a little bit different and not just like, yeah, we have a benefit plan in place and uh, yeah, our employees have a drug card and they know that they can get their prescriptions covered. But like really drilling down and um, maximizing the value that they're getting from it. Um, and so being willing to think a little bit differently about it and um, and just, you know, be educated and be open to it. I think that's, that's really a big barrier. And then from an employee's perspective, I feel like a big barrier to wellness is um, maybe just not knowing initially even how to access some of these resources and like talking about the EAP, uh, things like that. Um, just, um, you know, anything that we can do to reduce the friction of like how to ease the access and uh, reduce the stigma of using these these kinds of, you know, proactive, um, these, these benefits that will proactively help people take care of their well, well-being. Do you, I know, I know you said most of your work is with small to medium-sized companies. Do you see differences at certain size of companies on the communication 
of what programs are being offered? I wouldn't say it's based on size. Um, it could potentially be, would be accurate to say maybe it's based on sector. Um, but that's not entirely fair to say either or accurate. You know, it's not like black and white, but um, I do work with a lot of nonprofit organizations. And I think um, because the people in those organizations tend to be the helpers in society, right? And they are maybe a little bit more tapped into um, the emotional side of things. And um, so a lot of those organizations, they are having conversations about their employees' uh, emotional well-being and, you know, versus like th those conversations I was saying where I'm talking to some leaders who are saying, our employees are fine, they're at work. So, you know, clearly that's the evidence that they're fine, right? Uh, when we know that's not necessarily the case, right? So, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say it's based on the size of organization. I think, you know, kind of starts with the mindset of the 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 people that are in leadership, right? And the things that um, that that they're that are important to them and their values. Right. And that's that's excellent point that you made there about being able to ask those questions and wh what question what other questions should company leaders, executives, business owners be asking about health, wellness, employee benefits? Mm-hmm. Um, I think really like backing up and starting with why do we, you know, from the perspective of benefits and retirement savings plans, why do, why are we making this investment? Why are we spending 10 to 12% of our payroll on this? Um, and so like really getting back to like a, starting with a philosophical approach like what are the objectives that we're trying to achieve what are the outcomes that we hope to see in our workforce because we've made these investments um and and are those things happening and then you know if they're not like how can we start measuring those things how can we improve the outcomes so i think you know really getting away from that one dimensional um perspective of the benefit plan as just an obligation that you have to do because you have um, property and casualty insurance. So you also have to have uh, health benefits um, and looking at it from, uh, you know, like kind of just taking a more philosophical approach, which I know I've talked a few times about people not having bandwidth. And I get that right now everyone's going to, you know, people that are listening, maybe say, yeah, sure. That sounds nice. Um, but I think if you're working with a good partner who's asking meaningful questions and, you know, can gather that information and then help you have meaningful outcomes, um, it's not as onerous as it sounds, but I think it is being willing to invest the time in a, having a good conversation at least, right? Yeah. And you make a great point that uh, most companies aren't set up to have that expertise in-house. Mm -hmm. Some larger companies might, but for particularly the small to medium-sized companies, they don't have benefits experts. They don't have wellness yeah. experts in-house, and you don't necessarily need to hire this super employee that does it all. Uh, there are lots of providers out there, like yourself, and you know, that that able that are able to provide that mm -hmm. expertise and when you need it. But yeah. the key is to so ask tap that into question. that. Yeah, tap into it for sure. Hey, yeah. yeah. 
Excellent. What other points about employee benefits, wellness, uh, the future did we miss? What uh, what do we want to cover? Um, well, we covered a lot. I think one thing is, you know, we did talk a lot about mental health. And I think um, financial wellness is something that we didn't really touch on. And I think it is frequently overlooked um, as a way that um, it's something that needs to be addressed. It causes employees a lot of stress, right? And um, if you have... If someone is, you know, stressed about how they're going to pay their bills or stressed about debt or stressed about un- upcoming expenses or uh, stressed about retirement, um, it certainly does impact their effectiveness at work, right? So um, I think not forgetting to look at that piece and provide employees with resources, and it doesn't mean a pay raise necessarily because often, you know, the issue isn't that um, – You know, when we look at debt loads that Canadians are carrying, the issue isn't that we're not earning enough. The issue is maybe education around what we're doing with our earnings. And, um, you know, and and I think that's even a values conversation. But those kind of, again, those kinds of um, issues are fun to explore and to, like, um, find ways that we can plant seeds to support employees to start to, feel better in that aspect of their life as well, right? But I do think it's often overlooked. Um, and Or maybe if it's not overlooked, it's tackled in the wrong way. And it's, you know, a pay raise isn't necessarily the right answer and not one that um, many organizations can uh, follow through on this year anyways, right? So. And that, that brings to another good point because you've talked about the financial side and you know, values conversations, values for the company, but also values for the employees. A question I get asked a lot and sometimes feedback from business owners or even employees is that where does the company mandate stop and where does the employee responsibility start Mm -hmm. in in terms of what's being done? Yeah, well, that's such a good question. And that kind of brings me back to that, what I'd read about, um, you know, the um, trend this year that organizations will be addressing the employee's life experience rather than just their employee experience. And I think, you know, the reality is now so many of us are working from home and like you cannot separate those things. And like even to that conversation about supporting employees with having better sleep, whereas, you know, 10 years ago, it would have been like that that is not something we're willing to talk to our employees about, or that's like out of bounds for us. Right. Um, so I think from the perspective of responsibility, it's not an, empl- an employer's responsibility to have any of these conversations, but if they want to create an organization where employees are thriving and where they're coming to work fully engaged and excited to do their job. And then as a result, the organization is achieving their goals and like it's a win-win right so you know not necessarily a responsibility it's not a contractual obligation or but uh, i think workplaces that are thriving and uh, leaders that really want to see um, the full potential in what their their business is and their people they will certainly lean into these kinds of things that we're talking about right absolutely yeah one one of the things we work with our personal clients as well as our corporate clients is that 
personal performance equals professional performance. Mm -hmm. And you can't expect to perform well at work if you're exhausted, stressed out, depressed, you know, not eating well, yeah. not moving your body. Like you, you just won't perform as well. Yeah. Same thing. You can't expect to perform well at home if your work life is a mess. Yeah. <laughs> Being able to connect the two and understand that there's a direct connection with yeah. getting to bed on time, you know, doing the planning and going out for a walk and mm -hmm. being focused and present in your meetings at work if you, they're all related yeah yeah, yeah. And if companies can see that the employees if they can help employees be higher performers in all areas of their life it's just going to benefit everyone yeah exactly and i think you know and it can be so simple like when i think of some of the big transformations I've had in my life over the years or the big areas of growth I've had, it's, I can look back on so many of the, the different pillars and remember, oh yeah, when that seed was planted, when someone just kind of in passing mentioned an idea that just grew and grew for me and then, you know, became part of my life. Right. Um, so I think, um, getting back to this doesn't have to be complicated and it doesn't have to be onerous and it doesn't have to be expensive. Right. Um, but it does have to be intentional and to be effective. And, um, and you just, you don't never know what the outcome of planting some of these seeds is going to be for people. Right. So. Excellent. Mm -hmm. So as we wrap up, what takeaways, what, what's the one thing you want people to walk away from this conversation with and to be able to put into action? Yeah. Um, I, hopefully it came through that I think benefits are awesome. Um, I really, um, you know, I'm passionate about people and that's why I'm passionate about benefits because, uh, so, you know, for anyone that is like thinking of benefits as something that's really boring or a conversation they have to have or something they have to do for their employees, like to really, um, be open to starting to think of it in a different way. Um, and, um, and, you know, because benefits is one piece of this holistic part of wellness, right? And so um, that would be my hope that this conversation planted a seed of interest in um, exploring benefit programs a little bit more, um, more, um, uh, more holistically. Wonderful. Now, where if you want to reach out and connect with you, where can they find you? Um, the best way is probably, uh, LinkedIn is a good source. Um, my middle, I think if you search Shannon Hughes, I think I'd probably come up pretty quickly, but, I'll post um, my middle there. name is Irene. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, uh, and then my email, um, which you can just post in the, uh, the pay, the notes for this, but it's Shannon. Your, those are all on your website too. Cap CaptivateBenefits.com. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, Shannon at shannonhughes.com as well. Or sorry, Shannon at captivatebenefits.com is my email or my personal one. You can find me wherever. All right. I will make sure those are posted. Thank you so much, Shannon, for being on the show. And I look forward to connecting again. I'm sure we'll we'll chat. We'll, we'll get that, that workshop back on yeah. track when, when things are going <laughs> and back in person again. Awesome. And uh, yeah, thank you again. It's been a pleasure. And we'll be in touch soon. Thanks for the opportunity, Tim. Thank you for listening to the Working Well Podcast. 
If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear your experiences and how you've applied tips from the show to your daily life. So please keep us posted on your progress. To stay up to date with new episode releases, make sure to subscribe to our mailing list by emailing podcast at freshgroup.ca and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And once again, I'm Tim Boris with Fresh Wellness Group. We'll see you on the next episode.